Well, uh, Pastor Farrell was wondering, what's the, what's the real title of this? Are we going to be speaking in tongues? Or uh, I heard a little conversation like that. No, there won't be any of that. Yes, we will speak in languages, but we want to speak in redemptive words, not sinful words. And uh, tonight, uh, I trust we have a good start to a six-part series we'll be doing together. So more, more seats up here, Matthew, John, Mark, you guys. Okay, great. And uh, what I'm going to be showing on the screen will be very similar to what you have in your hands. And uh, great. Anyone else? We all, we're all good? Thank you, guys. Okay, well, my name is Rich Brown. Uh, that's what my mom named me, uh, Richard, when I was in trouble. Um, very privileged to be an elder here, a non-vocational elder. I tell everyone I'm an engineer by day, an elder by night. Um, but you never hang up the elder hat on learning. I've, I've been an elder for, oh, just a little over a year. So still learning the ropes there, and a great privilege to be a part of this church and the privilege to teach this uh, particular series here, Truths About My Tongue. And as you see the handout there, we're going to be looking at an interesting topic tonight, my terrible tongue. We're just going to start right out the gate and just give the unvarnished truth that James gives us about our tongue. And uh, like many things, like the gospel, we start oftentimes with the bad news, right? We don't understand the good until we know the bad. So you're going to get the ugly tonight, all right? Now, if only half of you come back, you'll, you'll forget what I'm going to say, that there's, there's redemptive words, there's redemption, there's change, there's transformation that comes through the gospel and the Spirit's work in our lives. But tonight, it's heavy. It's heavy, it's, and it's important. So, a uh, six-week series on our speech. And from an early age, perhaps you uh, recall your parents, or you as a parent, teaching your children uh, proper speech, Right? I mean, a cute baby's ga-ga-ga will someday become no-no-no, right? Uh, it doesn't take long to start seeing the sin nature come out in the tongue. And that's what we'll be reminded of tonight. What proceeds from the mouth comes from the heart, right? Our, our sin nature and our heart. And uh, your parents uh, certainly taught you how to discern good speech from bad, different homes, different rules. I was raised with three boys. Even the dog was a boy. Mom was very outnumbered. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't call my brother Dork or Doofus or, you know, strange names like that that uh, aren't complimentary but rather degrading. And the Bible has much to say about the topic of speech. In fact, Proverbs gives much attention on wise and unwise speech. If you've read Proverbs, you've seen that. It's no small matter to God, is it? Proverbs 20, verse 15 says this, There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. And if we think about it, communication and speech started with God himself, right? When he spoke those words, let there be light, and he spoke nothing into something. Powerful words, redemptive words, productive words. God only speaks those kind of words. They're never sinful. They're never self-centered. They're never off course. They're always purposeful. They're always good. They're always holy. They're always for the right reasons. They're good and righteous. They bring healing and they're redemptive. 
But speech was corrupted in the garden, was it not? When Satan, the great deceiver, said, did God really say? And corrupted speech was introduced to man and with the fall of man. Ever since that time, we've been beset to speak and propagate sinful words, haven't we? You've heard the saying before, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Oh, what a lie. (laughs) Isn't it? Isn't that a lie? Haven't you been hurt by words? We know from experience, whether it's slander or lying or gossip or angry words or hateful words, that some of the greatest hurts and pains in life come from those from the tongue. They come from our mouth. And sometimes those are things we've heard from others, and sometimes there's things we've said that are often hurtful. And yet, we can use our words and our tongues for redemptive purposes, for good purposes, for righteous purposes. We're not resigned to speak just sinful words. We can recall words of encouragement, a reminder of God's promises, or a timely rebuke that we have heard from the lips of another person. And in those times, God's been glorified. So when we look at the next six weeks... Tim gave a little lowdown to us last Sunday night, but this is the same thing. Tonight we'll look at my terrible tongue. And, uh, you know, when you, if you find yourself in a low place tonight and really seeing where we're at in the sinful state of the tongue and the power it wields and how significant it is to have control of our tongue, uh, you'll want to come next week. Getting to the heart of my speech. Why do we speak the same, the things we do? whether good or bad. And we'll find out it comes from the heart. Lesson three, we'll be looking at destructive words, sinful words and their roots. What are specific sins of the tongue? Quite honestly, I think we often speak things not even realizing we're sinning. And we'll take a deep dive into sin, sinful speech, and how the Bible defines it. But we won't stay there. We'll look at redemptive words, good words, transformed words in lesson four. And as we transform our heart, we'll speak more holy, good, and righteous speech. Lesson five uh, will be a God-centered affirmation, a application of good, redemptive, holy words in seeing God's work in people's lives and how to encourage them and affirm that biblically. And then finally, why not just zip our lips and just listen? And we'll look at the ministry, the overlooked ministry of listening. But tonight... My terrible tongue, okay? My terrible tongue. Go to uh, James chapter 3, or just look at your sheet if you want to. My terrible tongue. You've surely, if you've read through the New Testament, are familiar with this passage. It's not a flattering one. James goes into what I would just say shock shock and awe mode. He is relentless. He hits the hammer on the nail of our wicked tongue over and over and over. And he keeps beating on it and beating on it. Just when you say uncle, he has another nail to drive in <laughs> to show us take this seriously. He grow he goes to great lengths here to show the magnitude of the battle with this sin that comes from our tongue. And really, what I want you to be thinking about tonight, and the reason, one reason I believe he goes to great lengths like this, is because we don't think our tongue is such a big problem. They're just words. 
What's the big deal? Isn't it more about what I do rather than just what I say? And all the, although the scriptures have much to say about what we do, oh, James makes sure we don't forget the lessons of the tongue here. It is important what we say. We need to take that seriously. So let's let James uh, set the record straight tonight. So if there's a key thought for today, I would say it like this. The battle with my sin and my striving to be Christ-like is advanced greatly when I understand and address the sinfulness and the power wielded by my own tongue. If we take James' words seriously and look at it and accept it as the word of God and not minimize the words that we say and listen to them and how they speak of what is really ruling inside, we will be benefited greatly in our Christian walk and our desire to be like Christ. And I believe that's all your desires here uh, tonight. So let's go to James chapter 3. And I'm just going to read briefly there. I'll just read through verses 1 through 12. And then we'll take it one verse at a time and see what James has to say. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that he who te- that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For by for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by, by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What we want to look at tonight are five warnings from James about the terror of my tongue. And it'll all start here. Reconsider becoming a teacher. You go back to the verse one. Not many of you should become teachers. Now, this is pretty insightful. Here, James starts an extended passage on the tongue and the dangers of it and the power of it and the cautions that go there. And he starts with, teachers, those who speak on God's behalf, all right? And really what he's talking about here is a restriction on the quantity of teachers. He's regulating the number of teachers. And it appears here that there were some in the midst there that were aspiring to teach. And rather than put up a green light, I would say at best it's a yellow light, and perhaps there was even a red light. Just stop and think first, all right? The word for teacher here is the same one for master or or rabbi. It's indicating a 
recognized teacher, someone teaching in public or in a church setting. And it emphasizes a heightened priority on those who speak on God's behalf. It's an imperative command. Not many of you should become teachers. We're addressing here, James is addressing future, hypothetical teachers of the word. Now you think about that, that might seem a little odd, right? I mean, don't we need teachers? I mean, we're to disciple the nations, right? We're to, that's the Great Commission. We're to, we're, to, we're to make disciples. We're to teach them everything Christ has commanded. We need more teachers, not less, we would think. Christians need to hear to des- desperately need to, hear to, uh, need to hear the truth. Teachers are critical. Yet James raises the caution flag. He doesn't press on the accelerate. He actually pumps the brakes here. Now, I don't believe it's James' intention here to turn away all future teachers. Um, rather, it's for future teachers to consider its seriousness. The Bible commends faithful teachers, right? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has now no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There is a proper way to teach. Many passages on that, but right here, there's no need to be the shame. Of course, the emphasis here is approval before God, right? The danger of public teaching is that we're tempted to teach for the wrong reasons, for attention, for prestige. I mean, I have the attention of all of you, maybe most of you, right now, right? I, I, see, I see a good eye contact. I think I've got you all here. And we, it's, it's very easy for pride to set in and to seek the honor of men rather than the approval of God like we see here. Not many of you should become teachers. It comes with a warning. There's a stricter judgment if you look at the end of verse 1. You'll be judged with greater strictness. There's a great potential to bring judgment on the teacher from God when we don't speak accurately on God's behalf. In other words, not all words are created equal. There's a stricter judgment for the teacher and what he proclaims to seriously and to properly present what God has already said. There's a stricter accountability. If anything, tonight from this, let's learn to and remember to pray for our pastors. Pray for your teachers that they would handle it well. I'm so thankful for Timberlake that takes this seriously to really say what God has to say. There's much that could be said here. We'll allude to it a little bit more as we, as we go on tonight. But you just might ask, especially some of the young people here today, you might say, I desire to teach. Uh, what should I do? Where do I start? I'd just like to give you a few recommendations. These are just some recommendations from Rich's heart. Somewhat coming from this uh, passage here in Romans 15, 14, which says, I myself am satisfied, satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. What a great testimony to the Romans. Well, I'm not sure what year we'll be in Romans 15 on Sunday mornings. Uh, we're marching along, but it'll be, I am looking forward to when Pastor gets to that one. Uh, hey, one verse at a time. Amen. What do we do here? Realize, first of all, that God encourages good and godly teachers. God desires that. It's a gifting. It's a calling, if you will. 
You remember Hebrews 5.12 that says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, maybe speaking to the immature, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you. There was an expectation with those believers that they should have been ready to teach. So again, the scriptures aren't saying, no, 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 no more teachers. But God encourages good and godly teachers. Of course, we see from Titus 2 as well, men and women should be instructing one another in the church, older women with the younger, older men with the younger, right? So God encourages this kind of ministry amongst us. If I desire to teach, you should discuss your desire with your pastors. Pastors equip saints for the works of ministry, and this includes teachers. In boundless ministry, I have the privilege of being involved with, with Pastor Clay and other leaders We're training young men as future leaders and teachers of the church. What a blessing to see a number of our young men in our seminary. And they're 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 deciding and trying to determine has God do I have do I aspire to be an elder? Do I aspire to be a pastor? And they're developing those gifts and our pastors are helping them. And in boundless with some of our, our, our students that are in TES, we give Clay carefully watches them. Gives them the opportunity to teach in a Sunday school during Christmas break or during summer uh, summer break. And he helps them prepare their lesson. And he listens during the lesson. And he critiques things after the lesson, right? Teaching them to handle it well. Discuss your desire with your pastors. Don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a rush. That uh, verse in Romans 15, 14 uh, says they're full of goodness. That's talking about a mature walk. Those of you who are able to instruct have a mature walk and filled with all knowledge. You know the word. You have an ability based on a mature walk and a knowledge of the word. Don't be in a hurry because those two things take time. <laughs> Commit to being a student and disciple of the word. I think that goes without saying, right? Grow in your knowledge and interpretation of the scripture. Plant yourself in a healthy church that's committed to teaching the word of God. I was talking to a, a student the other night, and it's like, you know, how do I get ready for seminary? What do I do? Well, first of all, commit to a local church that's giving you the Word of God. You don't need a special degree, per se, to know the Word of God. If you're in a local church that's committed to the Word of God, you're going to know the Word of God. And just be committed to it and stay with it. Okay, wrong arrow there. There we go. Put off self-centered desires for a public platform of influence. Humility, humility, humility. Right, uh, pride comes before the fall, and uh, put off those desires to be well known. And I just remind, always remind of Isaiah. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Oh, God gives grace to the humble, and we need humble teachers filled with God's grace, and not our own thinking and not our own opinions. So rather than wanting a public platform, instead pursue growth now at being a faithful instrument of God's good, of good and godly advice at a personal level. You know, this room right here was filled over the weekend. Who was here over the weekend with the biblical counseling training? Several of you. What a blessing. Christy and I came by to make these copies for you tonight. And it's like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people here. And what are they learning? They're learning how to counsel their own hearts and then the hearts of others. Start there. Learn to serve others. Learn how to know the word well, know how to use it well, applying it to your own heart, and learning how to counsel and instruct others at a personal level in their hearts. Okay? All right. 
Uh, hopefully you got all that. We got to keep rolling along here. So five warnings. We're at number one. And uh, where are we at here? 545. Okay, we're going all right. I might have to speak a little faster here, so sorry about that. <clears throat> five warnings from James about the terror of my tongue. Second, don't underestimate the powerful influence of your little tongue. Don't underestimate it. Look at verse 2 there. Back to James. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble at what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his own his whole body. Now, if you think about what he just said here, it's really rather shocking, right? We stumble in many ways. Oh, I understand that. This metaphor of stumbling here is talking about sinning. We we sin in many ways in our body, right? Boy, we understand that fully, don't we? But if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle or control this whole body that stumbles in many ways. Wow. Look here. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. For. So here, or because, right, James provides the reasons for the command to reconsider being a teacher. Because you stumble in many ways. And it's hard to control the tongue. And, um, and let's go back to verse 2b, that, shock, that shocking part. If anyone does not stumble what he says, he's a perfect man. James goes from the general, stumbling in many ways, to the particular, stumble in what he says. Right? We stumble in many ways, but then he goes down to the particular, the tongue itself, right? In other words, you you stumble or sin in many ways, but if you don't sin with your tongue, you won't sin or stumble in many ways. The tongue and what we say is that important. Now, it says perfect man here. I don't believe it's talking about perfection, but about maturity. The more mature person has greater control of the tongue, And he's able to also then bridle his whole body as well. In other words, this spiritual maturity means if I have greater control of my speech, I'll have greater control of the rest of the areas of my life. Now, this is an amazing truth. When you gain greater control of your tongue, you have greater control of the other areas of your life. In other words, those with more disciplined speech have greater discipline in their life. Those who sin less with their tongue will be those who sin less in other areas. Now, what's James doing here? He's using the tongue to personify the sinful nature here, right? It's a personification of my fallenness, my wickedness. The center stage of human depravity is our tongue. Remember, Back in Romans 3, when Pastor was there, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive, Romans 3.13. Verse 14, the venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Explaining the totality of our depravity, Paul takes us to our mouths, our speech, to help explain the desperate situation of our sin nature. Our tongue exemplifies the sinfulness of our depravity. The center stage of human depravity here is exemplified by the mouth, our speech. Your mouth is the spokesperson 
of your, your sinful flesh. The tongue of sinful man puts on display your wickedness and depravity and all its ugliness. You can say it like this. The mouth is the exhibit that communicates the state of the, of the, of this, of the human condition, the sinful condition. The mouth is the exhibit that communicates the state of the human condition. Of course, those could be good words that show where your heart is and sinful words that show the heart that's not in the right place. You remember Luke 6.45, right? The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Looking at your sheet there, a principle here. My mouth is the door to the contents of my heart. My speech opens the door to the closet within to disclose what's stored inside. The tongue, as John MacArthur put it, is an instant expression of the heart. The tongue can easily sin in most any circumstances. See what John MacArthur says here. Nowhere is the union of faith and works more visible than in your speech and my speech. What a thought. In fact, somebody said, every one of us is carrying around a concealed weapon. But all we have to do is open our mouth and it's unconcealed. One thing we'll be doing that I'll ask you to do this next week and in the coming weeks is listen to your speech and what comes out. Pastor Clay taught on grumbling last Thursday night at Boundless. Uh, He's going through Philippians. And I've heard from more than one student say, gee, when I get together, everybody, that's the first thing that usually comes out of my mouth. It's this professor or it's that class or it's everything that went wrong today or if it was the bad food over at the cafeteria. It's just like that's just kind of our conversation sometimes, isn't it? It just flows so easy. And, oh, we take it for granted. What proceeds from the mouth comes from the heart, and we conceal what's ruling the heart when we talk. Okay? Now, to emphasize the importance of this principle, control the tongue, control the body, James gives two analogies, right? And at verse 3, he says, You put bits in the mouths of horses that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. The horse analogy, right? If you've ridden a horse or watched someone, I got the boyer sitting here. I know you guys do a lot of horse riding. Uh, You know, if that bridle's in the teeth there, not the bridle, the bit, and they got the bridle, you can control a massive animal, right? It's amazing. But oh, how funny it is to know somebody that is on the horse and they don't got that thing down and that horse takes off. And until they get that bit and bridle worked out, the horse is in control. But the small bit controls the massive horse. The, the tongue's what's running the show here. The analogy of a small rudder in a ship, right? Big and powerful winds drive and toss a ship that's dangerous and powerful, but yet it's controlled by a small rudder. We were on vacation uh, a few years ago. We went on a little pontoon boat on a Kentucky lake. That's my dad at the helm and my youngest son, Austin, being funny. Um, There were many, lots of humming and singing of the Gilligan's Island tune. Uh, Don't don't start because you'll you'll wake up singing that, okay? So, and oh, that was going through 
our minds a lot that vacation. But you know, my dad, you know, as he's leading the pontoon boat, he can just take his little finger and just guide the whole boat. A little wheel, a little rudder on the bottom, and there's like 10 of us on the boat, and he could just toodle that thing around. That little rudder controlled the entire vessel. The principle here, control the tongue, control the body. The tongue is so influential that it must be controlled. You must have control over your tongue. And if we don't, then we'll, we'll be stumbling. It's just, it's just basically tattling on us. It's telling us we have a lack of control in the rest of our life. Now, it's going to be important. Next week, we're going to get to the heart. All right? We're not saying speech therapy will make you a holy person. And you got things well as long as I'm not saying anything and I just reform my tongue. What we say comes from the heart. We'll be talking about that. What the important thing is here is you listen to your heart by listening to your tongue. And that may require some assistance from others around you. Those of you married, if you're so bold and adventurous, you might want to ask your spouse, what are some of the things I say that aren't so edifying, that aren't so good? What are the things I do well and that I could say more and say better, right? I have to admit, when I'm out of sorts with God, my speech is the warning light oftentimes. It's that, it's that warning light in the dashboard. Beep, 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 back up, stop, zip, confess, repent. Something's going on wrong down here. We'll get to that more next week, all right? All right, powerful incredible if you have reformed godly righteous speech when addressing the heart it will show in the rest of your life so listen to your tongue you know if you go to one of mark hager's classes he says don't listen to your heart i'll just nuance that a little bit listen to your tongue that tattles on your heart okay and find out where you're at all right number three we're going to keep rolling here. Five warnings from James about the terror of my tongue. Don't miscalculate your tongue's ability to cause great harm. If you look there at verses 5 and 6, James goes to great lengths here. And it just seems like overkill. James, I get it. But he doesn't, he doesn't let up here. He wants to make sure we take this seriously. And he gives us several descriptions of the tongue that communicate its dangerous influence. Look here in the first part of chapter 5. The tongue is small, but boasts of great things. In other words, the tongue is deceptively powerful to create havoc. It's small, but boasts of great things. You see the contrast, small and great. The tongue is small, yet there's great potential for destruction with this small little organ of our body. And look how he says there in the next part of verse 5. Uh, this says that how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. you got a forest fire analogy here. Devastating, devastating destruction that comes from an out-of-control fire. I remember one time as a young boy, we had a field behind us, a farmer's field, and seeing smoke coming up. And there were other boys playing with firecrackers and all that. And uh, I yelled to mom, Mom, there's a fire out back. Came running out there with some shovels. It was too far out for a hose. And, oh, man, I thought I had it here. But a little breeze kicked up, and all of a sudden, there was fire over there. 
And I go running over there, and before I knew it, it was there and there and there. And I was like, there was, there was nothing I could do. It was out of control until the fire department came to take care of that. Look at verse 6. The tongue is a fire. Out of control. James uses the metaphor again three times here about the tongue being a fire. It's devastating. It's hurtful. It spreads. It's hard to control. A spark lights a small fire that spreads and grows and destroys. Just like sinful words. Hateful words, gossiping words, lying words, deceitful words, angry words, they all destroy, don't they? You see two passages there in Proverbs that allude to our sinful speech being like a fire. A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs 16, 27. And then Proverbs 26, 20 and 21. For lack of wood, the fire goes out and where there is no whisperer, speaking about a gossiper, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Evil words fuel disunity. They instigate fighting. They promote unrighteousness. They fuel distrust. Look at verse 6. A tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It's a system of iniquity. In other words, the tongue is a world of trouble. It's at our fingertips. The, the evil of all the world is at the fingertips of the tongue. It's like the spokesperson of all wickedness and sin, ready to convey and promote any and all sin. Think about this. When I express the sin of hate, I, well, let's say it this way. I express the sin of hate when I say hurtful and unkind words about somebody. I'm engaged in sexual immorality by coarse joking or sexual innuendo or sensual words. I commit the sin of revenge with biting comebacks or put-downs or slander. I sinfully fear man by lying or using my words deceptively to present something untrue. And you see there in verse, the last part of chapter, uh, verse 6, it stains the whole body. It pollutes everything. It, cause ha- it causes havoc and chaos and disharmony, not only in your own life, but those around you. The tongue is set among our members, uh, uh, setting on fire the entire course of life, it says, our sphere of influence. It affects those around us. It's not just a personal thing. In a rage, in a rage you might say, I will never forgive you, give you for what you've done. And you carry other sins to back it up when we say something like that, don't we? Pride, unkindness, bitterness, unforgiveness, regret, a seared conscience, anxiety. And the course of life is damaged. A married man makes complimentary statements of another woman's appearance. And a world of unrighteousness can be unleashed, right? Tongue is oftentimes the initiation of other sins around us. And you see in verse 6, six uh, end of verse 6, it's set on fire by hell. I mean, hell is the king arsonist here. It's the initiator. Demonic forces. I mean, think about this. Those with uncontrolled speech, or any of us that don't speak redemptively, are essentially spokespe- spokespeople for Satan himself. And then he fuels and uses sinful words to promote ungodliness and sin. Sinful words don't just merely fall on deaf ears. Satan 
fuels the fire. And so it's said, the point is clear, the tongue is a deadly, powerful source of evil that taints every part of our being. If we do not use our tongues with great cautions, we are like spiritual arsonists, lighting careless fires that cause widespread destruction. Okay? I'll take these last two points briefly here as we're in our last few minutes. My tongue is humanly untamable. You look there at verses 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, man can subdue the animal kingdom, right? Christy and I ate over a Blue Ridge barbecue and someone subdued a cow, all right? <laughs> and we were the beneficiaries of that. Actually, it was a cow and a pig that night. Um, You've seen a three-ringed circus before, right? And, wow, to control a, 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 a large a animal like a lion or a, an elephant, and we, we can subdue them. We have the ability to do that as humans. But no human being can tame this little tongue? What a statement. What a, what a blow to our pride. James continuing to make his state, state his case here. Don't underestimate the power of the tongue now of course the tongue cannot be controlled humanly speaking oh but the the beauty the wonder we'll be looking next week at the heart that god has promised a new heart to transform us from the inside out and as we allow god to work through us and our hearts are changed it does transform our tongues but it's not something we can do ourselves and haven't we found that out you know, a bar of soap in the mouth only goes so far, right? It can't transform a sinful heart. But as God gets a hold of our hearts, we can transform our tongues. Great opportunities, great encouragement. But let it be a reminder to us, it's not on me. I can't. It has to be Christ. If I don't abide in him, I can do nothing. And God has promised to transform us, including our speech, when we relinquish our lives to him. My tongue is humanly untrainable. And without God's divine help, it's a losing battle. May we look at it with a lot of sobriety. And then finally, my tongue's hypocrisy highlights its brokenness, right? We bless God, yet curse man. And you see the various different um, analogies here, fresh water and salt water coming out of the same spring. It doesn't make sense. Or figs and olives coming out of the same tree. Doesn't make sense. To bless God yet curse man made in God's image doesn't make any sense. Isn't it ironic we can sing the praises of God in church and as soon as we walk outside, we call down harm on God's people? Oh, our, our hearts are wicked, aren't they? And it comes out in our speech. We ask God in our morning devotions, we want to be like Christ and on our drive to work, we curse and anger at those drivers, right? That don't know what they're doing and they're in my way. Oh. We thank God in prayer for his provision of food. And after that first bite, we whine about the taste, maybe about the service. Inconsistent, right? The tongue is dysfunctional, all right? What does it say there in verse 10? These things ought not be so. 
James has stated his case loudly and clearly here. The tongue is desperately broken. Have you gotten the point tonight? Does it make sense? Has he driven it home? And perhaps you're considering your own words uh, now and you're just wishing in the past you could take some back. And James has reminded us not to overlook the significance of this little tongue, our words, to take them more sincerely. That's the, take, that's the takeaway tonight. Take them more seriously. They're more than words. They express something. And God cares about every word. In fact, he says he'll judge every careless word. Here's a few things you can do this week as we close, okay? First of all, pray. Pray to consider your own words. Listen to yourself this week. If you're so bold, like I said, ask someone close to you to give you some feedback. And uh, I would just recommend not necessarily doing that in church when we have our Sunday best on, uh, but in the confines of your home, when the defenses are down a little bit, and it's been a long day, and all of a sudden it's a little bit easier to start saying things that shouldn't be said. You might just want to take a little recording with your, your smartphone and just uh, play that back. It's like, oh my goodness, is that me? Oh, the number of times I have caught myself and that I ask God, when I've studied this passage, to be critical, to say things that aren't praiseworthy, that aren't uplifting, that aren't edifying. So easy to have a critical spirit. This, I'm thinking about Rich Brown. So as you pray, think of Psalm 139, 23, and 24. David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Investigate me. Put the spotlight on. Help me to know my words. Help me to see what my tongue is wanting and not getting when it speaks sinfully. He says in verse 24, And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 141.3 says this, Lord, he says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Ask for that this week. Lord, help me do inventory. And as you're going along, if you're so bold, write a few of the things down. Wow, I spoke about someone in a gossiping way. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a whiner, right? Write it down there in capital words and circle it. I'm a whiner. I, I just shaded the truth, and I oftentimes do that, right? And as you write those things down, what I want you to ask yourself is, what was going on in here that you were trying to accomplish through those deceptive, lying, sinful words? All right? Just, I've recognized the word. Now, now take it down to your heart. That's where we're going to go next week. All right? Looking at the heart where the abundance of the mouth speaks, right? Coming from the heart. So pay attention to your words. See what your motives are in your heart. Ask yourself questions. You might be thinking, I don't know why I'm that way. Well, keep asking. Look, and we'll help you with that next week, okay? And the other thing, leave here encouraged. James, you know, James gives us this passage. He doesn't give us any way out, right? <laughs> it, it seems almost un, like, where, where do we go? It almost seems like a dead end. And yet we know in Scripture that's not the case, right? Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. When God gives us new hearts, the things we cannot do for ourselves, like we've been learning in Romans, 
in that we thrust ourselves to the feet of Jesus at the, at the, at the, at the foot of the cross, at the throne room of God, and, and, we, and, we, and we lean on the justification by righteousness alone that comes by Christ's finished work and not me and the sinful tongue and the sinful heart. There is hope for transformation. There's hope for a transformed tongue. Listen to your tongue. This is a great mercy from James. He's saying, guys, I've given you a dashboard light. Just listen to your speech. And as we go along, as we get to the, eventually the last lesson about listening, you'll learn how to help others when you hear sinful speech and how to appropriately help them see that and what, what might be causing that from their, from their heart. Okay? So next week, we're going to be getting to the heart of my speech, why we say the things we say. All right? Let's close with a prayer. I'll be here a few minutes. Sorry, no time for discussion tonight. But I'll pray. I'll let you go. And I'll be here for a little bit if you want to. If you have any questions or something you want to say, all right? Thank you, Father, for the blessing of your word. What a joy to be here among God's people tonight and through the day. It's just more than we deserve. Wow, Lord, we we look at a powerful passage like this, and we're just thinking, Lord, where do I go? What do I do? How do I control this thing? How do I get on top of it? I, I, I see the words I say and the things I've said. I want to take them back. And I, my words are sharp. They're like sword thrusts, like Proverbs says. They hurt. And, Lord, I speak them that way, and oftentimes I hear them that way. And, I, Lord, I want to change. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. You're a God who changes. Thank you. You're a God that gives us the Spirit generously. Thank you. You're a God that... When we confess our sins, you are, you are faithful and just to forgive. You fill us with your spirit, Lord. You're making us more like Christ. And Lord, I pray through this series, you help us to see the, the gravity of our words and the importance of them. And as a result, Lord, we, we are just prepared for that day when we will be in your presence just singing your praise. We'll be, we'll be unleashed, Lord, from the, the, the power of this tongue that just is hard to, to, to get free from. And, and Lord, will sing your praises for all eternity with redemptive, transformed tongues. But until then, oh Lord, you want to make us more like your son. Help us to speak more like Jesus. And help us, Lord, as we go through this series to, to learn how to do that by focusing on a heart that you've promised to change. We put our hope and our trust in you alone. Amen.